Hello everyone, it's Paul Newbegin here from the Past Podcast with some very exciting news. I am absolutely delighted that Series 5 of the Past Podcast is brought to you in partnership with our wonderful friends at Chefworks, who are our sponsors last time round as well, so it's great to have them back. And as you'll know, they are famous for outfitting chefs, kitchens and front of house all around the world. Chefworks offer a collection of great uniforms, so to check out their full range, you can visit chefworks.co.uk. Thank you again to Chefworks, and it's great to be back for Series 5 of The Past Podcast. Enjoy! Hello, it's introduction time. Cannot believe I'm about to say this. I got more time with a hero of mine, Mr. Ashley Palmer Watts from Dinner by Heston Blumenthal. Uh, We met him first time around at the Staff Canteen, live events at Hotel Olympia, and now we're back. Uh, So I mustn't have, I must have done something right. I kind of put him off the first time around because he invited us back. So it's always great to see him. What a great chef. Uh, What a great guy. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. The water, so you're okay. All right. If you need to cough, you can just give give me me a wave. Is it the, is it the, you said about happy birthday, is it the years get, getting to you now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the coughs don't go so easily now. It's, so. it's hard work this chef yeah. life, isn't it? It isn't easy. Especially now when even, you know, last time we met you were in, uh, obviously dinner's in, been in Australia and you're over here, so yeah. we spoke about that a lot, didn't we, last time? Like flying yeah, yeah. around the world. It must yeah, be. I fly off again on uh, Tuesday night, so uh, off to Dubai for a couple of days to uh, work on the project there. Yeah, because that was announced just after we met. That's right. where's that in the kind of pipeline? So so that's going to be, well, should open the end of 2019, early 2020. Um, It's a moving project, to be honest. When they're that big, they they do tend to move a little bit. Um, So, yeah, I'm off off to Dubai on Tuesday night for Wednesday, Thursday there, um, on the way to Australia. We've got a few things with the project to... um, to overcome usually budgets and uh, you know the boring stuff, um, <laughs> justifying what 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 you kind of want in the kitchen and, and that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, some mechan- giant mechanical artwork we've got wanting to be installed, so we just need to start that process as well. Um, and yeah, just general sort of project stuff really. Um, it's much more like a workshop kind of feature because yeah. we spoke about it before the kind of story I had I remember meeting Heston just before here opened in, in London and he said you know kind of what the project was going to be about a little bit but was was it always the idea to do it on this international scale or did that kind of come about quite naturally yeah I mean ever ever since the first time we spoke about opening a dinner well we didn't know it was going to be called dinner back then it was you know a restaurant in London and um, you know the initial idea was having something that was historically based pitched between the fat duck level and and the sort of hind's head you know can we find that sweet spot in between the two and do high level cooking high end cooking um with slightly larger numbers um and 
we always had a vision of you know four to five restaurants of dinner around the world incorporating a little bit of um, local history where appropriate um, and if that came in the form of a kind of um, a, a very rooted um, food or ingredient from history or something that was very very important to the culture of eating in that country or it could be something a little bit more light-hearted and humorous or it could be quite nostalgic at the same time you know so they all differ slightly um, depending on where they land and you know I think Dubai we're going through the process now of really learning what Dubai is like because you know it's a, it's quite an extraordinary city really and, and country it's 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 it moves so fast that what actually was there 50 years ago you know was hardly anything yeah um, so do we want to go and do sort of Middle Eastern cuisine no but how will we incorporate these nods and twists and yeah. and our little interpretation and and ultimately try and create somewhere that loads of people want to go yeah. and eat and have a good time and have great service and um yeah because i think especially when like you said there about the nostalgia thing that's a really big important part in the fact that <coughs> especially with how they've just you've all changed the menu haven't you relatively recently to the journey I know here again there's a lot of kind of British nostalgia so does that do you have to kind of translate that because there's something quite British or English I think about the whole Heston group yeah no 100% I mean we're, we're extremely proud to be British and whilst you have to be careful about being only British it's about localising yourself into that sort of the country especially with Australia you know the history you have a certain history before settlement but that's not really where we're looking. Um, Australia is much more about um, sort of taking Australian ingredients, the kind of indigenous ones, the ones that you don't get here. They're, I mean, there are so many. Um, going through them and, and just deciding what actually tastes good and what doesn't, um, how we can apply those and link those into our dishes. But also, I think the thing that strikes a call with a lot of Australians is, is the actual... You know that sort of nostalgia of the last 20 30 years in food so for example we've done a, a version of a, um, a chocolate bar called cherry ripe and this doesn't really bear any resemblance to the cherry ripe but the flavors from the cherry ripe and because when you sort of present or you you describe it to an australian they they really think of cherry ripe with really sort of fond yeah. memories and this real sort of lovely kind of warmth yeah. and excitement and and i think that kind of process with 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 australia is really important it makes me think of the bfg at the at the fat duck like that kind of taking that thing that you're aware of and exactly in it you know and i think the other the other thing is that you know especially when we opened here in london was to to we created dishes that were inspired from yesteryear you know from our culinary history and want to do our own interpretation of that same thing so there's nothing more brilliant than using creativity and your imagination and you know making things exciting that people i, I always think people can't do at home yeah. or 99 percent of people can't do at home which is part of the thing for a restaurant such as dinner it's it, it is an occasion yeah um it it we want people to be excited, whether they come to dinner by Heston or the Fat Duck or one of our pubs or even the restaurant at the airport. Mm. You know, there's, 
there's that imagination that yeah. we apply to everything. Yeah, I've been to the I've been to the perfectionists. Oh, okay, and I've been to the fat duck, and I've been to the hindsight. I just haven't been here yet. Ah, right. So, okay. now, so now I'm here interviewing. So at one point, I'll have to come for dinner. Yeah, definitely. Dinner. <laughs> but what I like is that it's that kind of you like you've just alluded to there that you still feel like you're in a part of the group if you see what I mean you still feel like you're getting that little kind of taste of what it's yeah. about and obviously with the free sites now well, what will be free sites of dinner is it the idea that you could kind of go to one in in Australia and get the sense of what's over here or is it supposed to be different yeah so I mean Australia is probably about 70% of of what we do here in the UK but they're in a completely different cycle of the seasons as well so like where where we're here in midwinter you know not a lot is growing you know it's 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 a tougher period for chefs than than the bounty that we have available in the summer they're in the throes of summer so actually when you do go to australia and you land you're like right i need to get my head in (laughs) summer mode i need to you get really excited about the produce and you know you you need to start thinking before you get there you know what's coming in when and you know really rely on the local team to to really keep an eye on that work with the suppliers and farmers and, and make sure that we're getting everything that is feasibly possible and obviously what kind of got you and i back talking a little while ago was the you know quite you know tragic really events that happened and they obviously gladly nobody was hurt but there was obviously a big fire over here so that was must have been quite challenging times for you yeah, it has, uh, 2018 definitely was not the easiest of years. Um, we had the fire on the outside of the hotel, believe it or not, um, on June the 6th. And uh, it kind of went in at different levels and caused a bit of damage. No damage to the restaurant, really, just a bit of smoke. But, um, you know, it was, it was very fortunate. And, I mean, everyone, the safety system and, and the organisation within the hotel is unbelievable. And, you know, it really does sort of... It's one of those cliches of, you know, put it all into your training and then when something happens, you rely on that training to get you through. And I think everyone was out within four minutes. Guests, staff, everyone. No one hurt, no no issues. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's extraordinary because it could go horribly wrong. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we had uh, six months closed. And, of course, on June the 6th, we didn't know we were going to be closed for six months. So, again, you think it's going to be four weeks now, then it's going to be six weeks. Well, actually, it might be eight weeks. Then you're like, what do we do with the team? We we cannot afford to lose the team. So um, the insurance sort of covered us to keep and pay all our staff wow. uh, full-time in the whole hotel. Uh, we made use of as many seniors as we could um, out in Bray in the development kitchen from, from the savoury kitchen. And we had a small... Uh, pastry development kitchen in a basement of a cake shop in Borough Market <laughs> which is really random but it was amazing and so it was like that's, a, just, that's just lurking around is it yeah it was like a pastry bunker so you know the, you know the brilliant thing about this industry is you know when when you need some help or you're in trouble mm. you need a hand all you got to do is pick the phone up or text your yeah. friends and contacts and you know chefs were amazing oh well, you could have this place but I'd need it for x or you know yeah. got this place but it's over there and you know the the offers were were, were brilliant and you know it's so it, good they're so nice it just shows you yeah. know what what our industry is the crossover and how close and supportive it is it the support we've had has been incredible um and then of course it was like 
you know, a record summer here, wasn't it? I was in Australia for a good portion of it, but um, the guys had a bit of time off, and, and then we organised stages all around London. Nice. Um, a week to two weeks in each yeah. place, so, you know, one, two, three stars. And um, bakeries, pastry shops. Um, we had some staff go and work in other mandarins in Asia, South America, America, um, and tried to use the, the time to do everything. Yeah that we don't normally have time or enough time mm. to do. So the aim was to really sort of take advantage of time <clears throat> in a way that would really benefit us yeah. at the restaurant. Um, and, of course, you know, that's delving into to history and the library and food historians and, and just getting cracking on, on development, really. It's great, though, that you've obviously made the kind of best of a... A bad situation which is really nice and like you say to have people that can help you out and what have you and I'm sure if anything happens now you're there to help other people out so it's it's great isn't it yeah I mean it's brilliant I I think as well you know for for a lot of the chefs here that came out so we had head chefs senior sous chefs sous chefs junior sous also for the sort of sous chef and below level it was a very very interesting learning mm. Uh, sort of period for them development is is very different than getting ready for lunch and getting ready for dinner and dealing with orders that don't come in to issues with the team to you know something's broken i need to get it fixed and you know all all of those sorts of things so you know what it was really interesting to see who who could really embrace it and 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 sort of almost uh, adapt themselves yeah because it is a very different kind of skill set, right? It's a very different skill set, but I, I think everyone's got the, the ability to do it. It's about how can you flex yourself mm. um, in terms of you have to, you have to be organised, but you also have to allow whatever the dish is to go on its own little journey of its development. So it can go anywhere, but you've got to do it in an organised fashion. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing wrong with just trying something. You know, even the first couple of versions that you you put down from an, an original idea, you know, might look terrible, might be rough as anything. We know by the time it gets to the menu, we'll have sorted that. That's not yeah. a problem. Yeah, it's 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 just having that core of of what the you know almost like what the personality yeah. and the character is within the dish, and then just getting that balance right and supply and quality and yeah. execution. So, I mean, it was, yeah, it was very interesting. Um, it's kind of having the confidence to get it wrong, almost, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, you've got to be able to get it wrong. I mean, you know, I know when we opened here, and, you know, this is something you don't always have as a as a younger chef, and, you know, I'm 41 now. And I remember showing all the guys the dishes, and, you know, at that stage, we we knew what we wanted, we knew what the dishes were, but these were in by no way the final versions mm. that were going to stay that yeah, way sure. because that's not who we are either. So, you know, I remember, you know, plating these dishes up in front of 40 young chefs, you know, with this, with how a young chef thinks. And I, you know, I have been that before. And you think everything that you're going to put on the plate is, is going to be, you know, 10 out of 10 finished and <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Well, when you're giving birth to a to a concept, and Heston and I, we we had a vision of what we wanted dinner to be, but... It's, it, it comes out as it goes yeah. along, and yeah. you know we're eight years in now. That's um, crazy, that it's it's gone really fast. Yeah, 
Because um, it only feels like two minutes ago that I was sat at the Fat Duck and Heston was saying, oh, we're just about to open it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. Makes me feel old. <laughs> the, team, the team that we've got here that have developed along with it, you know, I've got loads of people that have been here for the eight years. That's crazy. You know, That's and good. That's an achievement. Commies that are now running the past. I've got a, a commie that was here that's now sous chef in Australia. That's amazing. A demi-chef de party that was here is now the head chef in Australia. And... You know, watching all these guys grow yeah. up with it and also contributing yeah. to a bigger mechanism. That, um, But I think having the opportunity to join, to give people that, mm. that time in development helps them join development to the kitchen that is here in London. It's seven days a week. Lunch and dinner and the hotel serve breakfast in our restaurant in half of our kitchen in the morning. So it's not like having a little restaurant where it's just yours and that's yeah. it you know you've got to work around a, a sort of bigger um, bigger beast really yeah so what I've asked you to do is to think of five dishes that you know kind of either mean something to you or they might kind of have reflection on you know your you know illustrious career in, in food how have you gone about trying to kind of come up because you were just typing <laughs> them down before we started how have you tried to come up with the dishes that mean something to you um, well, I, I, I think back, you know, to my early days, um, sort of 18, 19 years old, and I think one of the first ones would have to be um, a dish that I ate at the Fat Duck, you know, long before people had even heard of the Fat Duck like it is now. I think it had literally just got a Michelin star. I went, and um, whilst I can't really single out one dish on that, I'll, I'll tell you that about the three sure. dishes. And it something was like a magical um, sort of draw, and it pulled on me to make me go and work there. Um, and, it, and it wasn't, you know, the most perfect meal in the world, in my opinion, at that, at that time, but there was something about what Heston was doing there that was quite extraordinary. Mm. Um, the first dish I had was a crepinette which was a it was actually built in a in a in a cardboard tube um of about sort of four or five inches and it was crepinette filled with scallops um piquillos peppers spinach and truffle and then kind of it would be about four inches long and it was kind of standing in this mixture of pea puree fresh peas truffle it had this kind of white truffle well it wasn't a white truffle foam but it was like this white kind of foam I don't know exactly what that was with um it was all about peas and truffle and it was just I'd never seen anything quite like it in my entire life and um how old how old were you be at this point so I was uh 19 right okay and I was working in a small restaurant in Dorset and I went up there for my birthday with three other friends that were slightly older than me and then the main for main course myself and my friend we shared the um poulet de bresse for two people which had truffle stuffed under the skin it came with um this ball of macaroni that was roasted in crepinette that was like the most decadent luxurious truffle and sep macaroni roasted seps um it was pea puree and um i think there was a coxcomb on there as well at the time a braised coxcomb and the the chicken had been marinated and then poached in a mixture of uh, truffle juice madeira and a little bit of pork so this chicken costs an absolute fortune. I think it actually costs more than what they used to sell it for. I mean, that was just how mental it was. But, I mean, it was just something I'd never... 
I'd never experienced anything yeah. like it. So was um, it just something as a young lad and you were like, I've, I've, got to, I've got to find out how these sort of things are made and I've got to kind of come and work here? Yeah, I mean, the, the style of cooking was so different than what I was looking at and experiencing in other places. Um, and I guess back then there was this real sort of classical edge to things things felt like french cooking and um there was this guy in berkshire who'd bought this old pub and turned it into this really quite a funky restaurant really a big copper bar wrought iron chairs that sort of you know that cecil kind of carpet stuff you know the rough rough carpet and the bold cooking was was amazing Mm. um and then for dessert, I had this um, chocolate delice with um, grillotine cherries and this vanilla ice cream that had just a few beans of coffee infused into the uh, into the into the custard before it's frozen. And again, like Tahitian vanilla with this little bit of coffee was was unbelievable. And I, I can still taste it now. That's the impact it had. That's amazing. And, and I think that really led me to knowing that that is the only restaurant I wanted to go and work at. Yeah. Um, after I left where I was working. And so you went and kind of started on this journey. And I've so Heston's um, appearance a good few years ago now on Desert Island Discs is basically the inspiration for this whole podcast. Because as I said to you before, the whole Heston group was pretty much the reason that got me interested in food and drink. And it was on my 18th birthday that my mum took me to the Fat Duck. And we just had, you know, still to this day, if I think about it, like you've just said there, I can taste things, I can remember things and what have you. When did you kind of realise that it had become this phenomenon? You know, if you like this, you know, recognised on the world stage? And Well, I mean, when I started, there were there were five guys in the kitchen all working like dogs. Um, you know, if I think back from, from where we sit today, I mean, it was... You know, there was no real structure. There was no real, you know, um, it 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 would look quite disorganised by modern day standards. But it it was organised in a very organic way, if that makes sense. But there were only five guys in there, and everyone sort of knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. It just felt like being part of something very very special. And 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 I can honestly say that from the moment I started. I just devoted 100% of my time and mental time and focus and everything um, into what we were doing. And a lot of the time, the best way of describing it is it's almost like you didn't even know what was going on in the outside world. You just had no clue because the only thing that mattered was what we were doing. Mm. And that went on and that went on. It got busier, it got busier. and, and, And then... I remember one Sunday Heston took me outside and he said, you know, I want to, I want to, um, I want to thank you for, you know, everything that you've done and blah, blah, blah. And I, I really want to move you into a sous chef role. And I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Never been a sous chef before. Um, that's great. Don't really know what's, what's coming up. But he said, you know, let's, let's take our time. Let's get there. And, you know, whilst everyone else is, you know, going for a mid-service break and never coming back and going to the bank in the afternoon and never coming back because it was tough. Um, you know, we just kind of stuck at it and heads down and, and cracked on. And, and we often do talk about that that moment and we often then follow up with, well, we never thought that it would, you know, we, we never thought we'd, it would come to this, if you know what yeah. I mean. Um, but I guess it's, 
yeah, being part of that journey is, you know, from one star to two star to three stars. I mean, we were just completely focused on what was going on, almost didn't have a clue what was going on outside. Yeah. And just doing our thing, travelling around the world, showing people what we were doing, um, and just constantly questioning what we were doing yeah. and, and trying to just make it better all the time. Um, so, yeah. I've spoken to a I've really been fortunate to speak to a lot of chefs um, and I remember talking to Paul Ainsworth and he said about you know one of the greatest things he's ever he ever did in his career was to give someone like Gordon Ramsay that dedication that the amount of time that he was working for Gordon and he said that's kind of what he feels like kind of set him up for his career if you like do you kind of feel that about yourself as well because you've given you know the Heston group such dedication that it's just enabled you to focus on because you now are really you know well respected name well known name you know you're quite a big deal (laughs) well I guess yeah it depends how you look at it I suppose but um, I don't think of it that way Um, I do (laughs) but uh, this is massive for me is it right okay huge but I mean you know like we we just yeah, I'm very fortunate. I, I get to do something I love doing. You know, and sure, some days I get really annoyed and I get really frustrated. And sometimes you think, Christ, you know, how are we gonna how are we gonna get past this point? Or you know, you have you have all the plans in the world, and then you know something will change. And the biggest the biggest one is people, and you know the team and growing them on and and being with them, working with them, having a great time, but also instilling that. I'd love people to work like I work. Um, I do find it frustrating when others don't have quite the same uh, focus and, you know, that that attention to detail. But, I mean, if someone doesn't have that, they will get that mm. if they're the right person. Mm. Um, and it, it does take some a little bit longer than others. And looking at your own work and going, well, you know what, is that good enough? Mm. Is that... Is that really? Have I really given that hundred um, percent? And I try. I, what I try and sort of get young chefs to understand is that we didn't get here talking to you. You know, I'm 41. Do you know what I mean? I it is a lot of hard work, and and that I think things like things like this podcast is great. Because, <laughs> talking to me shouldn't be the pinnacle. You know, <laughs> shouldn't be an achievement. No, but what, what I mean is is, is kind of you know. We, we, we can only talk to as many people as you can talk to and, and with all the will in the world all the, to, all the top chefs and all the people that the young, young guys look up to you know we all say the same thing and you, you just want people to really apply themselves take their time it's not a race mm. you know you don't have to be a head chef at 22 23 and I, you, you really in your late 30s I really think you start to it almost feels like you start to cook the best food that you've been cooking in your, your in your career, I don't I don't think you cook the best food in in your early days because I don't think you know enough, mm. you know. Um, and I think really looking at it and tasting it and asking yourself how to make it better is one of the most important things that we do. Mm. I wanted to talk to you about the kind of science aspect, if you like, that's kind of. You know, Heston has been really passionate about, and I'm, I know obviously you know, what you do at dinner and what have you. How, how did you, how did you kind of find that coming in and having to learn? Because you know, there's a one skill in learning how to cook the food, and then that's kind of you know for me that would blow my mind. Was that come quite natural well, to you? Or 
it was it was interesting because when I started at the Fat Duck, although Heston was working on various things like triple cooked chips and that kind of stuff, but I mean, really, that really started to to kick off in sort of late ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one, and I, I would say, you know, I'm not a professor at all. I did all right at science at GCSE, but you know, I certainly was never going to be a scientist. But I think from where I sit today, a lot of science is about exploring something, asking how that works, why, why does that happen, how can I achieve this instead of that, um, a lot of trial and error, and then sort of reinforcing that, that those results with actually, can I do it again, yeah. following this way or that way. Um, and we were really lucky to, to be able to talk to, work with, um, ask questions of m- many different people from you know physicists to um, any type of science people that were working in psychology to touch and smell you know they they all linked up in this massive thing and Hessen had you know a myriad of, di- of different people that he worked with over the many years that we could call up at any time and a lot of the time you'd ask them something they'd go well that's a really good question I don't know but what if you tried this with that and you went see what happens if you did this yeah. you never know and that comes back to that thing of there's so much of science that isn't known and it, mm. it really is a thing of trial and error recording stuff and then you're, you're able to then build upon that that step step one mm. by knowing what you did and how you can change it with with just knowing where you are rather than guessing at it you know because you know although it, Guessing is is great, but it you know you need to have some some sort of consistency and measurement, mm. you know, and, and everything that we do is by judgment and intuition and how we cook as as a cook. However, we just measure it off the back of that. We don't work it all out beforehand and then yeah, yeah, yeah. and then try it. You know, we 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 cook and we make recipes up. We then measure them and then we refine them from that point. Yeah. You know, so we take the guesswork out. And for me, I think as well, what makes it so special is it's there is that kind of the, as you said earlier, it's that playfulness that you add to it. Things like the the meat through and what have you that it's it's so playful. So it's not intimidating. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not kind of science for science sake. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the one of the things. I mean, ever since I started at the Fat Duck, Heston's um, you know approach was I just want people to come in here and have fun. You know, I want people to be rubbing their hands together. And, and this is where, you know, he, he sort of came out with the, like a kid in a sweet shop. Yeah. He wants people to come through that restaurant door, rubbing their hands together like a kid in a sweet shop. Yeah. You know, just with that anticipation, the excitement, um, that kind of, yeah, you can have a little bit of nervousness. But, I mean, the skill of the restaurant and, 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 the, and the floor staff is to, to make people feel at ease when they come in and give them a great welcome and... And let them know everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, because you have a range of customers, some people that are super nervous when they come through the door. Yeah, we were. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and you see it all the time. And, and, and it's, it's our job to, to, to take them from that point, yeah. even from making the reservation and making them feel like this is going to be the most seamless, enjoyable, excited um, experience that we can possibly produce. And he... He, on on the desert island disc that I alluded to, Heston said something which has kind of stuck with me, 
throughout every time I kind of go to a high-end restaurant. And he said about time and place, you know, and about creating that moment. Um, you know, even if it's just one moment throughout the course of a meal, is that something that you still kind of practice? Is that like, a, a, can you hear Heston's voice saying that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, I mean, everything is so personal to to, to, to every single person that, that walks on the planet. Um, you know, we, we try and gain here at dinner as, as much information as you feel people are willing to give you so that you can kind of add to that in, in, in whichever way you can. Um, you know, and just just being personal uh, with people, whether they're celebrating something or it's a, a, a kitchen tour or it's something, I don't know. It, it could be anything, you know. It, it A little bit goes a long way. And, and restaurants are, in in my view, I mean, I don't, I don't eat in restaurants to stay alive, you know. It's, I'm not that kind of diner, but I go to a restaurant to have a great time. I go to um, there'll be an aspirational level. Um, there'll be uh, you know, I'll be super excited. I'll be inquisitive, and I'm really interested in how people approach doing essentially the same job, yeah, in a completely personal way yeah. to to them. Yeah, because what the diners buying as much as they're buying the food they're buying into that experience and they're buying into what you're giving if you see what I mean yeah and it's it's the whole backstory and you know here we're de- delving back into our culinary history and bringing something forward so we can we can talk about it all day long um, we don't like to ram it down people's throats because you know some people want to come and they just want to have great food have a great time with their friends have great service and and off they go whereas I think increasing now over the years and years and years, it's becoming much more detailed. We're looking much more into our kind of past to go forwards, you know? Yeah, we, that was kind of our... We were talking about that before, actually, when I met you at the Hotel Olympia, was about how you kind of use history as a kind of kicking-off point, and you've got two more dishes left to go. I wonder if there was a good historical-based dish that you do here at dinner that you could talk to me about. Yeah, um, ooh, which one should we go for? I mean, there's, I'm sure there's loads. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot there, really. Um, I think uh, if I talk through one of the more the more modern ones, sure. Um, yeah, we've just put a dish on the menu called chocolate drops, which just sounded like ever since we read it, it, it sounded absolutely incredible. Um, and do you want me to read it to you? Actually? Yeah, go on. That sounds that's great. Let's find it. <laughs> I know it must be very hard when you try when all you do all day is think about food, and I'm asking you to think of five. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's a couple. Um, there's a couple of dishes from the from the duck, and from those those years that made a massive impact. Um, chocolate drops. Right here we go. This looks very organised. Oh, I love that. Well, it's organised chaos in this <laughs> Um it's, um, I'm halfway through restructuring how I file stuff, so I'm really lost. Um, but chocolate was warmed, then added to a copper stew pan with powdered sugar, roll into the size of small marble and place onto white paper, flattened by holding the corners of the paper and lifting in the air and then dropping onto a tabletop until the balls are flat like a sixpence. Put some sugar numpera... How do I say that? Numperas? Oh, God. Non-perilous. It's a French French word, isn't it? 
I'll say, say it again. <laughs> you can't have it out. Yeah, sure. Um, put some uh, coated sugar drops over the top and shake them off for the extra ones, and you will see chocolate drops are covered with, with the sugar dots and let them stand until cold, and they will come off well and put them in your box prepared. <laughs> so I think it's like... So that's just come from a book that you found somewhere or a recipe that you yeah. found. So this is um, oh, 1790 wow. from the Complete Confectioner, um, which is... Uh, you know, it's it's this kind of little note to how something was made. But also, when you start thinking about it, actually, you know at Christmas, like when you get those little white buttons yeah. with the little things on? Yeah. Sometimes they're chocolate and sometimes they're white chocolate. That's what a chocolate drop was. Mm. You know, so they're still about today. Yeah. How could we use this as an inspiration point for something um, for today? So... We had a dish on oh, probably about four years ago, and um, we had it on the lunch menu, and it, it was called Beekeeper's Chocolate. And it was a mixture of sort of chocolate, honey, citrus, and then we kind of added in malt and um, kind of yeasty, toasted rice kind of components to the dish. But we were never 100%, didn't feel like we were finished with it, if mm. that made sense. Mm. Um so that's been in the in the back catalogues, and I thought, well, when Dan and I were going through this, we thought about having a base, and then we could have all this something that's really, really uh, poignant in the way that we think naturally, not out of our. We don't go out of our way to think like this. It's just it's part of the DNA of mm. having worked with Heston for a long time and coming through the dark, which is sort of flavour encapsulation, and you know that sounds all fancy and 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 scientific and blah 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 but at the end of the day what it means is you've got pockets of flavor you've got pockets of texture you've got pockets of acidity and sweetness and bitterness Mm. that as you eat through something these are encapsulated little bursts Mm. when putting a dish together and thought well actually this would lend itself really well to to what is essentially a round piece of chocolate with drops on it if we could use that for this encapsulating loads of different flavors and textures and we borrowed the flavors from these sort of unfinished beekeepers and went down a route of um malt and barley white chocolate toasted barley ale um and see where we get to Mm. and we started putting the dish together and it was quite it was quite rough in the beginning like i was saying um and I thought about if we had this like really nice sort of moist molten ale cake on the base and then build everything on top of that. Um, and I'll show you here. I know you can't see this on the podcast, but so this is for my benefit only. <laughs> but this really is. This really does show how it um, how things pan out. I think if people could see this organisation on this iPad, they would be very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> So this was the oh, um, yeah, okay. this was the original. So this is like one spheres, of the first ones. Yeah, like yeah. spheres that you've made. Exactly, and and so this is the journey it made. So you had the cake, then you we had this kind of chocolate soil, and then we obviously we ne- we needed some sort of balance in here, like farmy cider, verjus, sort of real unfiltrated farminess from <laughs> from liquid. So we started compressing pears in different things. We made um, different gels. We made different purees. And then this one was actually an absolute disaster to eat, <laughs> which you can see actually now, like, 
you'll see a spoon coming in and just everything <laughs> fell off and we're like alright I love this so you're actually filming how a dish yeah, so eats exactly so if I'm not in in where the pastry oh, yeah. are, yeah, we can see exactly. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, so you can't really eat into it, sort of. Thing. I can't taste it. Yeah, but at least I can see where we're at. Yeah. you know, and you know, sometimes it, especially if you imagine you're in Australia. Yeah, for them to show us where they are. Yeah, we know we're going to get the flavour right. That's not a problem. Um, so you're almost trying to put yourself into the diner's shoes and think, how is this actually to eat? Yeah, exactly. And, and how? what is that experience? So then we started with this one and we had toasted barley mousse. We still had the sugar ball here, but it was we're having trouble making those. We had this gold aero um, with It's crazy pear. there because that looks like almost a completely different dish. So it's Yeah, and this is a week apart. Yeah. A week apart. And then we were looking at sizes and overall balance and That's then what colour are we going to spray this is like things this like the story of just one dish basically can yeah. you go through all of this change and then then uh, we, we started having some fun by making some actual chocolate drops to put onto the dish but then actually realised well, you'll see in a minute it started to get a little bit better here <laughs> um, and then when we got to where is it this point will you have this for most dishes then will you have this kind of documentation this story yeah, almost absolutely you know because we've got all the recipes we've got all the things that we tried and, and a lot of the time you go oh remember when we made that thing and it didn't work and you know what if we just tried by lowering the temperature or adding a little bit of this maybe that would hold that's, that's what we're after yeah. so you can always go back and, and look where you come from a bit like, you know, we're making our own history. Yeah. Um, and delving back and, you know, we started putting the little chocolate that. drop yeah, on. so cute. There was a real divide then in the, in the team. It was like some people loved it, some people hated it. And it yeah. was this real kind of thing. And then we thought, well, actually, when we get to the, the final dish, we then put this little band around. Yeah. So it kind of kept that. Yeah. And on top of the malt cake here, we've got the chocolate ganache and we've got some of the, um, the citrus farmy kind of gel chocolate and ale ice cream a chocolate ganache with lemon thyme that's actually still an early one wow and now here it is today wow um, it's crazy that if people could see how that evolves exactly know, so that. it goes from you know one thing right through to another and you know that sometimes these things take a long time mm. sometimes you don't know where it's going either and sometimes you get a little bit lost and think right let's just let's just stop for a minute mm. Where are we going? Because mm. we, we're going around in circles. We might, might need to strip it back or start at the beginning. And, you know, it's, it's, quite, it's quite an organic process. Some things are very clear and you get there quite quickly, whereas other things, you know, take a little bit longer. But you, you've, coming back to that thing about development, that's, that's where you've got to mm. allow yourself to, to actually... It's okay to not know where you're going. It's not ideal when you get really frustrated and people are looking at you thinking why don't we know where we're going? Yeah. But you know what actually happens sometimes? But then I suppose for, for someone like myself, like it's really easy to just think, you know, everything that you, that Ashley Palmer Watts does is perfect first time. And, you know, you just, do you know what I mean? So then it almost might just off put myself as an amateur cook. I did a, I've been thinking, this is boring, sorry podcast. I've been thinking for years about a particular dish and I've been practicing and practicing, practicing. I plated it up all together for the first time on New Year's and I wasn't happy with it like pretty much at all Yeah, and it's just like right so what can I do now Where do, I, do you know what I mean yeah. and it's almost that kind of it was never going to be perfect the first time it was never going to be what I had <coughs> in my head the first time so it's just kind of coming to terms with that is what you're saying yeah exactly and I, I think one of the most important parts of 
of, of a dish's life is you've got your development process, whether that's in a restaurant or development kitchen, doesn't matter. It's the same sort of process. When it comes on to the menu, it's having the understanding that this dish will change for the better, nine times out of ten, when you start repeating it to serious, you know, a serious degree. So you have a lot more people involved in it. You start refining every element that goes onto it and working out how we can make each element better and how that overall balance comes together. You also need to eat the dish many times as well. And, you know, one of the most important things is when you when you put a dish together, you know, you might have six, seven chefs all tasting the dish. Whereas if you look at the chocolate drops that we've just looked at, there's multiple elements in there. So your your taste may be completely different to mine. So from just the taste, how can you get an, an eating experience from start to finish? So you really, at certain points, you need to start eating a whole dish mm. to get the experience and the overall balance of something that's that's compiled in that way. Yeah. See if that makes yeah. sense. And once you start eating the dishes, you, you know you get a lot more clarity as to what people are going to experience in the restaurant. What I don't want to do is influence your last dish yeah. that you're going to choose. But what I do want to know, now you're talking about that, is so in your career, obviously, you've been party to this journey on so many iconic dishes that especially when the fat duck really kind of was getting known people were talking about the snail porridge the sound of the sea you know the bacon and egg ice cream does that kind of blow your mind a little bit to think that you were a part of this like these iconic things that everybody was talking about yeah i mean you know to be honest i don't really think like that but i mean you know i'm sure one day when i you know get the chance to look back and think about it i must admit when i picked the fat duck cook book up you know on the rare occasion that i would um just to look at something or, or just just check something or i don't know just one's lying around and i think oh i'll just have a flick through i'd i do look at it and i think bloody else amazing you know like yeah it is incredible and and you know and, and and now i look at you know what's happening at the fat duck is 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 on another level you know it's 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 not just a restaurant. Mm. And I remember Heston saying a few years ago, actually before we reopened, you know, it's not a restaurant. And I'm like, well, I don't really understand that because the tricky thing is to a lot of people, it's a restaurant. Mm. But once you come to the restaurant and you experience what happens there, you go away thinking, actually, that's not just a restaurant at all. It is something more than just a restaurant. Um, and, yeah, I think it's incredible. I think, you know, one day I'll probably look back and, you know, like you're saying, sort of reflect on it and, and, and enjoy those times. But yeah, it's been an amazing nearly 20 years. Yeah. Um, so. Do you, have, do you have one final dish that we can put onto your, your five favourites? Oh, definitely. I, I, well, you know what? I mean, my favourite at home would be roast chicken. You know, the family love it, kids love it. It's just, it's just a nice thing that I associate with being at home on 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 a Sunday or whatever. But I think one that I really must uh, talk about is a is a dish that for me is one of the most. I prob- it's probably one of the most important ones that I saw that really opened a lot of doorways for a lot of cooks and the way that we approach food is is 
it was a roast foie gras with crab twills, crystallized seaweed, marinated salmon that then became actually um, poached rhubarb with uh, oyster vinaigrette. And this this starter at the Fat Duck was, for me, probably one of the best dishes I've eaten ever in the world at any time. I think the foie gras was... The cooking of the foie gras was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, and this was... This was really pre-water baths in any kitchen. Um, we were we were get the lobes in, we would cut them down, we would then sear them, we would freeze them really really quickly, and then we would cook it from frozen, turning it on a on a tin foil hat in the oven. So slowly cooking it while spraying it with liquid nitrogen with one of those things you get at the doctors, you know, the little canisters. <laughs> it was a really painful way of cooking. Um, <laughs> And um, but then when the water baths, you know, when we got our first water bath back then, I don't know, two thousand, something like that, we then poached the foie gras from frozen in the water bath, and then started to caramelise it with a blowtorch. And you know, this is this wasn't happening. That was not no. part of any kitchen back no. then. And you know, I, I remember quite a few uh, sort of distasteful um, comments about how we cooked and how we approached. But you know what, like sitting here today and looking what's in modern kitchens now it's it's as common as an oven this is it you do need the understanding how to use sous vide but you know it's it's become part of most kitchens but what must have kind of been funny is like you say that that's kind of pretty much all you're used to by that point so you're almost like you, you don't question that those are the ways you do things yeah and now every single kitchen has been influenced in some way by what you guys were doing yeah i mean you know and and, and it's like everything isn't it it, it things develop for the better most of the time the, the, the things where it goes wrong is when when there's overuse of it and that you're lacking you're completely lacking in any kind of roasted flavor any yeah. sort of richness in dishes because everyone's just put everything in a water bath so they've got a bad name yeah. and a good name yeah. it's just it's does like it, everything does it frustrate you when you go into a bad pub and see triple cooked chips on the menu done badly <laughs> do you know what I, I i wish i could just have enough time to actually go and <laughs> yeah. show them how they're supposed to be because you know you need to cook them far enough in that water yeah if you don't there'll be you know pretty poor imitations yeah. but you know get them right i've had a few that have been pretty damn good yeah um but uh, a lot of people they just don't push it yeah. You know, and you need to have some casualties in that water. You know, that's been that's been picked out in the past on the past podcast as a dish. Oh, really? Triple cooked chips. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Heston was. Do you know what I? He was working on this before I um, even got to the Fat Duck, and I I remember like around two thousand and one, we had a we had a girl in the kitchen at the time, and and she had to try thirty two different types of <laughs> um, treating a single chip. So we had them on the menu back then as well. So, you know, there were some that were scraped with a, uh, a fork before cooking, after cooking. They were pricked with a cocktail stick. It was salt in the water, no salt in the water. I mean, there were 32 <laughs> variations. And I, I'm not joking. It was one of the craziest tests I've ever seen. But you know what? That's what he wanted to do. And, and that's some testing up, really, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, rationale in things sometimes... Is, is is a is a deterrent and a, and a block mm. to actually come up with something that is quite incredible, mm. and I mean you know, I often look at it and you know it's like pomana and you know dauphinoise potatoes and these these classics. The triple has become yeah. 
mm. you know, a classic now. 100%. Which is amazing. Yeah. Really amazing. I can't, I can't leave uh, today before I just quickly ask you um, what I like to ask my guests. It's just a, a really simple tip to improve my cookery or the <coughs> listeners' cookery. What, you know, if you get a young lad or, or young lady through the doors, what are the sort of first things you're telling them to focus on getting right? Um, I think, first and foremost, I would say it's a combination. So nothing's more important than the other, sort of. You can't have one without the other. I think, one, you need to... You need to work orderly, clean and tidy, and organised. You know, before you start something, get everything you need. Because once you're running around trying to find stuff, stuff's going wrong mm-hmm. in front of you. So get ready. Um, you need to you need to listen. You need to to absorb information. Um, read as much as you can. Eat out as much as you can afford to. Um, and you know, the, the one thing I would love to see come back more is go and get experience in other people's kitchens. You know, it's not, it's not this thing of free labour and all this kind of... It's, it's about learning your craft. And I'd love to see more young chefs sort of embrace going to work for a week to two weeks in other top-flight kitchens or whatever kitchen it is. And it's our duty that when people come to us, and we have stages here, is to put them around the kitchen, have them work with key people that are actually going to teach them. Mm. You know, I don't want someone sat in the, or not sat, stood in the prep kitchen, like peeling onions for 10 hours a day. That is, that is a complete and utter waste of time of coming to do a stage here at mm. dinner. I want people to be running things to the past, getting involved and, you know, helping out on, on, the, on the larder section. And the more that you show you can do, the more you get given. You know, and I think the art of the style should be really encouraged back because it's definitely dying out. Mm. You know, that's really I I know what you mean though because I hear it a lot now about these kind of problems that yeah. you know the industry is having and attracting the right people and you know getting that balance right. And I was just talking to the guys up at Hyde. It's you all the skills you can teach, but what you can't teach is that right attitude and, yeah. and wanting to learn and. Well, you've also, you've also got, I mean, social media is amazing, but it's, it's so easy for people to look stuff up now. Mm-hmm. And, and this, is the whole, this is the whole thing with actually being in something and thinking that you're in it, right? With the, with the view that social media gives you. And I, and I love it, but you do feel like you can get all the information, you can look at it, you can see how it's made. But actually, you're not actually making it. So when you come to make it, you're actually not as equipped as you thought you were. Mm. And there's nothing like going and getting in it in the moment without a phone, with just being there and learning and tasting and being part of something rather than in a virtual world. Yeah. Listen, um, every single podcast, I'm blown away that somebody wants to give me their time. (laughs) Um, but I think you might know by now that this one means a little bit more to me than than some others. Thank you so much for your time. That's okay. Um, I'm just a bit blown away at the minute, so thank you. All right, no worries. Thank Thank you you so much. Thanks again to our fantastic series partners, 
ChefWorks. Check them out on social media. Just search at ChefWorks UK in Ireland on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Hashtag ChefWorksWearer if you wear ChefWorks and you want to feature or get in touch with us and maybe you can appear as a chef of the month. Now that would be really cool to see a chefy listener of the past feature as a ChefWorks Wearer of the month. That would be really cool. You can get in touch with me on Twitter as well at the past pod. Uh, I am also the underscore past underscore podcast on Instagram. Or you can email me with stories of best dining experiences, perhaps celebrities and restaurants is always fun. Uh, I'm at Paul at the past podcast.co.uk. And perhaps I will grovel with Chef Works for an apron for our best email that gets read out on the show. That would be cool. You can have your own apron chef works apron that would be really lovely to see somebody in that uh, you can take a nice picture for us cheers guys and uh, we will see you next time around on the past podcast cheers